love you and we thank you for this opportunity to come before your presence uh, to hear your word so enlighten us lord just give us what we need to hear uh, for the journey that is set before us down here on earth so we honor you and we love you you prepare us for everything father and we thank you so much for that lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen 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 praise god so I thought I'd talk to you some about warfare today and, and how, amen, and how uh, the devil can't stop true apostolic ministry. Amen. He cannot stop true apostolic ministry. And uh, not throwing no shade on the way. But, you know, we live in a day and age where people assume titles, you know, much more than, than uh, they have in the past. And I believe it's because we have uh, kind of a breakdown in our church government to a degree uh, because we don't have the order and the structure uh, that we have traditionally had. Um, there were some problems with that, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know I mean, you have to hold on to the things that are good because Jesus is still the head of the church. And we can always appeal to him and get understanding of how he wants his people governed down here. Uh, you see people feel free. It used to be people would join a church. Their kids joined the same church. It was generations of people in the same church. And they were faithful people. And and so, you know, church buildings lasted uh, from years to years. Now you see abandoned buildings. You see people who go and start something up and then can't hold on to it and they have to quit and all this kind of stuff. There's probably always been some of that. But I think there in, in past generations has been a little more godly fear there and a little more respect for the ministry uh, that people didn't really try to call themselves you know they they didn't find there wasn't anything glamorous about it i'll put it that way enough for people to want to call themselves now we see just the opposite there are a lot of uh, false people fake people people who haven't been called or we see people who are gifted and called but they won't pay the price for for teaching and training the way they should and so uh, we have a mixture out here of uh, things but there is a true church in the earth at all times and that true church there are different signs and and uh, ways characteristics where you can identify and so I, I thought i'd talk about apostolic ministry uh, the office of the apostle as one that um uh, that you need to take note that that many people who call themselves apostles are not that um you know people have have taken on this this um thing about if you have two churches or two churches in the same city you can call yourself an apostle and we got a campus here and a campus there and and they're killing themselves trying to pay the bills in two places and you know, most people who are pastors who are shepherded for a while tell you you can't get slap happy when offerings are good, you know, because there are going to come seasons where they're not as good and you still have the work of the ministry to accomplish. And so we need to take a step back as believers and get it inside of us what the true apostle looks like and what their ministry is like. And how it must be a calling. You must be called to this. You can't just make up your mind one day 
uh, well, that sounds like me or that sounds good or so-and-so's one. I can be that too. This isn't, you know, a game or something. But I can tell you that's the way many people approach ministry anymore. And so I, but I believe Jesus has a way to dignify and refine his church so that we can be the shining light that is set on a hill and draw people to Christ and not be these immature goof-up people who will say they're this, that, and the other, and it doesn't even sound believable when it's said. You got me? You just have to um, look beyond what what people are saying about themselves. And, and, and you want to be connected with true ministry. You don't want to spend all this time doing stuff and, and then you get in, involved with, with pra- crazy people that, you know, every other week they're called something different and, uh, you know, can't keep a phone on and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, you just, God provides better than that. So, you know, the, the, but there will come a time the false always disappears. They fall out of, visibility and then god will continue with true ministry so I, I was reading through the book of acts about the apostle paul i thought i would talk some about that about the how he discharged his ministry and what the characteristics of his ministry were you need to know that the word apostle or uh, in the greek apostolos is a word that means someone who is sent now, sent by God, not by a group of ministers, not by, you know, the group, but you're sent by God and you're sent to a, a, a specific place for a, a specific amount of time to do work, to do his will. Um, there, the, the, the thing about the apostle is that most of them, are independently called by God and tend, they have this tendency to just get up and go. Uh, they don't stop by Facebook and tell everybody. They don't, you know, try and get a bunch of people, um, uh, sending them money and so forth and so on. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, refused offering sometimes and he said the father should lay up for the children not the children for the fathers. Amen. Uh, those of you who are parents, you don't want your children taking care of you. You know, you just, I mean, that's like a joke to most parents. Go somewhere and sit down, boy. You know, and if it gets to a point ever in life where you have to have it, you really have to humble yourself in or it's in a, it's a foreign relationship that way. You know, that role reversal like that is not comfortable, uh, to most people. And so looking to the flock of God to care for the shepherd is a, a reversal of the order that God wants it to have. It doesn't work well that way. God takes care of his ministers. And I think there's no other office that proves that more the, than the office of the apostle. You'll see apostles released quite a bit 
during uh, outpourings of the Spirit and the Spirit of God, like, you know, the last great one we we think about. I mean, there have been some smaller revivals. A revival is like a big earthquake or a tsunami, and then it has other little ripples, smaller moves that continue throughout the earth that, that ha- are similar but not quite the dynamic and not quite the intensity. So one of the, the breakthrough revivals that, that occurred in this nation was the Azusa Street Revival. That was characteristic uh, by people having uh, a Pentecost, what they call Pentecostal experiences, the same experiences you see in the book of Acts where someone would preach or they would pray and the spirit will fall upon people no laying on of hands nothing nothing against that but many times in these outpourings of God the work that God wants to do in people is so specific and unique to them as individuals that it takes an outpour of his spirit and then people respond to and yield to that outpouring and God begins to do a work in them to equip them for the ministry and so out of that revival came very many uh, um, apostolic ministries, John G. Lake, uh, uh, um, um, uh, Lester Summerall. These were people who came not at that time, but eventually after and around that time of that great outpouring. Um, uh, William Seymour, of course, you know, he carried that anointing uh, to California. Uh, there were so many, uh, 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 there were some women ministers that came out of that, and they all had the characteristic of going to Azusa Street, being filled and equipped and going out immediately. And you'll see that with the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm not saying if God calls you as an apostle, don't get any learning, don't get any teaching, because they do along the way. But they have to first prove that anointing. There's something with the anointing of the apostle. It has to be proven first. And then the add to and the training comes. So many times what people do is they'll feel called and then they'll start going to Bible school or something like that. I'm not against that because that's how the other fivefold are trained. But the apostle is unique and different in that they tend to just get up and go. You understand what I'm saying? There's a something that, that uh, they carry that cannot be held back. Uh, it, it can't be... Uh, if let me put it to you this way, when Paul was talking about he when he was um, uh, when he was converted, when the Lord knocked him off of his horse and, and he was blinded for three days, and he said that Jesus appeared to him and gave him his ministry instructions, and he said, when I received that vision, he said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't put it to a vote. I didn't ask nobody what they thought. I simply stepped out in faith and obeyed what God told me to do. And many people lose the edge of their calling by talking it to death with other dead people. Now, you all been in that conversation before. You go somewhere and you think these people look like they're on the same page with you, and once you start talking to them, you realize they don't know beans about nothing. So you just need to learn how to keep moving. 
You got me? Instead of being an oil and water situation, you need to just say, okay, God, this isn't my place. I'm not called here. Uh, I'm moving, lead me on to where I'm supposed to be. And if you will, will follow that leading of God, you won't go wrong. And you'll find the apostle has this thing about them. They must follow the leading of God. It's hard to pin them down. It's hard to get them to, you know, uh, well, brother so-and-so, he's the chief, this and that. They pay no attention to that kind of talk. They could care who's the chief of this and who's the bishop over here and who's the archbishop and who's the this and the that. They care less about man's structure in things because they see that what's before them is the go ye into all the world. Just go and not stop. You got me? They are go people. They're not stop people. They know how to pray for what they need. If, if they need association with people that can help them to understand some of the things better pertaining to God, they know how to pray for that and, and believe God to bring it to them or lead them to it. Uh, they, they're not being on organization, falling under this person, affiliating with that person. You got me? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not, they're not TV people necessarily. So you'll see them on television, but that's not what they're after. They're after all the world. You got me? They're after following that next step uh, in being sent and getting there. And so uh, part of the uh, the other definition for for apostle is warfare. Now, if you look up the word warfare in the Bible, Strong's Concordance, um, the Strong's word is 4752. You can look that up in your time. But the word warfare says one of the definitions is apostolic ministry as one of hardship and danger. I'm going to say it again. Apostolic ministry as one of hardship and danger. That word also means to serve in the military. And this is why apostles are, are many times, um, I guess, misunderstood or kept at arm's length or something like that or, or considered to be mean because they don't take any nonsense. They, they have this military edge to what they do. They know what they're called to do and they don't let anybody stop them from doing it. You got me? And so, uh, you can't like want to be their friend and spend a whole lot of time when schmoozing and, you know, all the zhuzhing and all that kind of stuff. They're not the smooth and zhuzh people. You know, they're people that, because they have to stand in a place where they protect the anointing at all costs. If they let go of what they carry in God, their very lives are at stake. You got me? You can't break that and break them out of that and don't try to break them out of that. Uh, one, one person like that, their personnel, Dr. Summerall, was a very, he was, he had a prophetic edge to his personality but he was a true apostle because he he faced death many times i mean he he went to china thailand burma he went all over asia 
preaching the gospel. He'd ride donkey, horseback. He'd walk on foot. I mean, there were all kinds of situations. He was sick one time and almost died. And, and years later, met a woman who had prayed for him. She said, do you, do you remember when you were very sick one time? And, and she said, God woke me up and, and I prayed for you. And I said, God, please don't let him die. We need him. You got me? And so these are things that, that are real, true to the call because this is no game that we, we are in. People who understand the gospel and understand what we're up against realize how dangerous it is, uh, to be uh, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to put it. But you will see that the devil cannot stop true apostolic ministry. You got me? Once you step into that and you understand it and you, you go for it, he can't, you, the devil cannot stop that. So the, the, uh, uh, covering of the apostle or the anointing that governs over their work governs over everybody who's under their authority. And that's why it's so important for people uh, to find out where they're supposed to be, submit there, and get the blessings and the benefits of that anointing that comes. Um, I don't know about partners and how much of that you get. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I think in faith you can, when you give faith for the word and all this, but I think some of these promises you hear people making, uh, you know, Typical uh, people on television, if you send them money that makes you their partner and you partake of the same anointing, and you know what I'm saying, it's more to it than that to receive, because if that were true, we would have won this one world over already. You know, if, if you could claim that same anointing, but, but when you work under true apostolic authority, there is a connection there that allows you to tap into the same anointing that that person over you carries. And, and, and as much as your faith will allow you and as much as your obedience will allow you, when you work under that, there is a divine protection that comes on you, but there's also challenges that you will, will receive in a, uh, in a, a small measure. You know, you don't get the brunt of it, but your, your commitment to the anointing has to be sharpened through some level of warfare. You can get, you're gonna, some of it will hit you. And so we have to be careful uh, how we meet the challenges when you're under apostolic authority and apostolic anointing. So the Apostle Paul was challenged by spiritual forces everywhere he went. So the warfare was everywhere. First Corinthians 15.32, Paul remarks that he fought the beast at Ephesus. Got me? Now, some people think he might have been talking about, because of the culture and the era that he lived in, some people think he might have been talking about gladiators, uh, you know, that type of reference, but there was no, there were no gladiator fights in Ephesus. I mean, they were all, they were in different cities, but that was not one of them. And so he's not talking about 
you know, the the fights where they would have in the arena where people would fight different beasts. And some people killed them. You understand? Gladiators were known, some of them, to fight very valiantly, and they would fight animals and, and oftentimes would win. So they know Paul was not speaking about that. And so they believe he's talking about a spiritual entity over the city of Ephesus. Man, and we see evidence of that when he went to Ephesus because they had a um, a statue of Diana there, and and uh, Paul was able to preach the gospel there, and many people believed and started burning their uh, books that they used for sorcery and all of those things. He always got in trouble for what he did. You got me. So that that was coming. But he said he fought that beast. Amen. And he and, and that's what apostles, that's always their calling card, that they fought something. And it was something real, you know, a real spiritual force. And then there's fruit to show for their fight. Amen. And so when you see, he says he fought the beast at Ephesus and he won because the fruit there was that many people were converted and turn to the Lord. Amen. In Second Corinthians twelve seven, he talks about the fact that he had received a messenger from Satan to buffet him. Amen. And so it appears that this messenger followed him everywhere he went almost. Because he said three times he asked the Lord to take it away and God told him my grace is sufficient for you. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. So apostles have to look at sometimes warfare as their friend because it helps to keep them in the grace of God and not fighting in their own strength, not trying to, you know, take it personal, uh, all of that. Um, that's something that you'll find uh, many times they just don't have that, you know, you can offend them, you can call them all kinds of names, and they still keep coming. You know, where, you know, pastors want to commit suicide, and I, no offense to them, but you know what I'm saying. People don't have that anointing and understand warfare that way. They won't quit. Uh, we're depressed. You know, you see that all the time, statistics. 60% of the pastors want to quit the ministry. Bye-bye. See, that's the way apostles and prophets say, you won't do this? Bye. Don't Just don't hinder me. You know what I'm saying? Just don't let your fear rub off on me, so get to getting. And if this ain't your shot, God bless you. Glad you found out and didn't get everybody else around here depressed and acting crazy. And so, <laughs> but we love you, but get to getting. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we got work to do here. <laughs> I don't have time for this. And and really, sometimes people are being weeded out who have called themselves. And so, uh, you know, you, you hear statistics like that and you think to yourself, well, how many of them really are called by God? You know, because that call never goes away. And it's not hindered by your feelings. Feelings. So he had a messenger. Thank you. A messenger from Satan to buffet him. Amen. In Acts chapter 16, 16, we see a girl with a fortune-telling spirit to follow him. And so this is common for 
that anointing, the apostle's anointing will attract certain spiritual forces because they always want to go where the power or the source of the power is. And the Bible says God calls first apostles because they are called to go into territories that have not been visited by their ministry before. And I'm not saying by the gospel. Uh, pretty much every place in this country has been visited by the gospel. Come on now. But we still need apostles here because there are certain kinds of ministry or revelations that come from God that need to be planted in the earth and so you apostles carry a revelation, a new kind of ministry, a new dimension of ministry, or something new that has is, is not widely accepted, amen, uh, in the church community. Like salvation is widely accepted. You know, you'll see the devil put up a little fight against that, but not as much because everybody knows the Roman road, you know. But some of the, the ministry that God calls to make an impact in places and and one of the ministries anything having to do with prayer is always going to have to be planted by apostolic authority because you'll never get beyond crying about your kids you know not having you know not going to church and all that unless you get something heavier to hit the devil with you got me and so when you need something a new dimension in prayer new dimension apostles are released to take that revelation take that knowledge like deliverance okay that's now that's so widely accepted it's not even any power there anymore you got me people don't even bother with it anymore now, you'll see some deliverance churches here and there, but you're scared to go in there. And I know y'all scared. Because I'm scared. You got me? Because it's a bunch of hocus pocus, a lot of flesh, a lot of seeing things in the natural, but not seeing much in the spirit. And see, this is what happens when a, a pure revelation of God comes. Once the church gets a hold of it, they begin to water it down, manipulate it, get it in the flesh, you know, put up a banner, a marquee, a sign, a, you know. And it, what happens is it, it takes the power out of it. You got me? Everybody wants to do it. It gets to be a game, some a toy, something to play with after a while. So this, we're big at that, folks. Church folk is big at playing. And not really being sincere and reverent toward God and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so <clears throat> apostolic ministry of nothing else um, carries with it a reverence for God, a respect for God. Um, you know, not all this slang stuff and yeah, you know what I'm saying, pally pally stuff is a, a high regard for God and his authority and his power. So we see on these different levels, Paul fought spiritual warfare. Uh, the little girl that followed him, trying to witness and be a part of the church, she just got sick of her mouth and made the devil come out of her, man. So he just got tired of her. And so it wasn't like it was a big thing or 
God sent him there to do that, he just got irritated, you know, and, and he decided to take authority over it and God let him. And so she wound up losing that. Well, that cost him. So he wound up in jail. Um, sometimes things bother people and it's God. Sometimes things bother you and it's you. And so you have to know the difference. Amen. And, and it's it, like Samson. I'll give you that as an example, example. Remember Samson? He didn't live right. He was always breaking the rules, not doing anything. But there were times when the anointing would come on him. It, it, he would start in the flesh and wind up in the spirit. So that's totally possible in God, folks. Um, He's not going to find anybody more perfect than us. Can I say that? So he has to use us as we're yielded. And it's not this, uh, oh, oh, I got to be so consecrated. Oh, I can't watch what I say. I got to watch what I, you know, just get up and do something. You know, just go move toward whatever it is that God, because you're going to be in the flesh half the time anyway. You're going to be scared. You're going to be crazy. You're going to be wishing you was at home again. You're just going to be all that stuff. And then the anointing comes upon you, and you get smart enough to yield to it, and that's ministry. You got me? That's how some of this stuff happens. And so Paul, you know, Paul couldn't say he was under strict orders from God to, to cast that devil out of that girl. He's just sick of her mouth. You got me? And God showed up. Amen. Instead of him telling her off, he just cast a spirit out of her. And it cost him a bit of trouble. Everything that Paul did cost him trouble. And that's typical of, of apostolic anointing. There's always a retaliation against it. There's always a force that comes either to meet it and try and stop it, or to retaliate against it. And so what the, what the enemy wants to do is kill it before it gets effective in the earth. Or pervert it so that it's so watered down and mixed up in the flesh, it's not effective. You got me? Well, he did that with Samson. He was, Samson was not as effective as he was supposed to have been throughout his life. The Bible says he killed more people in his death when he took down that building than he did the whole time he was a judge. He judged for 20 years. And so he, because when you're in the flesh, you can't be used much. Not as much as God would like to. You got me? If you, he can get your attention and teach you and train you how to stay faithful to the anointing, he can do a whole lot more with you than he can this off and on, up and down, sporadic stuff wants you to stay with him so that he can use you successfully every day. There are many ministers, apostles, who have gone all over the world and preached the gospel, amen, and never had anything bad happen. You know, they didn't mess up. They didn't quit nobody, sleep with nobody. Do that. You know, they just live clean through the whole. Well, God can do a lot with them people. He'll use us all, but he'll do a whole lot if he can get us to be obedient and to be reverent to him and to understand and to be just obey the call of God. Quit trying to be somebody. If he can get us to stop that, because you jump out of the spirit and the flesh so quick, 
you know, we all are tempted to. We we want we want that notoriety, you know, we want that attention. We want that, you know, and so we have to crucify that every day. Sometimes that's your daily cross. You pick up God just help me not to get off on into me over this and stay where you call me. Amen. And and stay available to God more than anything. So then uh, Paul um I thought I'd go through a couple of situations with him to show you how to successfully come through um, spiritually speaking and allow God to be your deliverer, uh, have successful spiritual warfare and not get over into the flesh and, and not lose it because of, of what God has called you to do. Uh, our ministry is an apostolic ministry. Uh, it, it's not like a campus here, a campus there, two campuses in one city, you know, kind of thing, bishop here, bishop. We don't do that, okay? Mainly because God has not called me to do that. But he has called me to manage ministry in three different cities, amen? And so that's the scope of our apostleship. But the fact that we are sent there and I still go, that's the other way you can know the false people. If it ain't tantalizing to their flesh, if it's, if it's not 800 people in, in three different locations and they own TV, they don't want to be bothered with it. You got me? And so I made a pledge to God that I would go where he sent me and do what he wanted me to do regardless. I could care less if y'all come here or not. I'll preach to the carpet. And I'll pray with the carpet. Amen. You know what? Because I know what I'm called to do and I intend to get it done. I ain't leaving here till I'm done. You got me? And I'm not seeking anything fame or no. Amen. Uh, I just want to be known in, in, in heaven and earth and under the earth. Got me? Uh, you know, in earth where I'm called to be in earth, but I, I could be you know, undercover for a long time, you know, it does not bother me. Used to, numbers used to bother me and, and all of that kind of stuff, but it does not bother me anymore. So so I'm called to do to plant this revelation in the earth and to work for God in these areas he's called me to work and not be concerned about what anybody else is called to do. You know, people get people get in trouble spiritually snooping over in somebody else's backyard where they're not supposed to be. You know, that looks nice over there, and and how come I can't have that? And you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, just just chill out and be who God called you to be. You know, yeah, you'd like to see more watchmen, but I've seen a lot of them come and stay faithful for ten, fifteen years, and then go do something stupid. You know, just drop out. <laughs> And confused and don't know where they're supposed to be. It's, it's tragic. Uh, but once you're called to this, you have to stay faithful to it. I don't see these people, you know, Bishop, I see people hopping from, from place to place. They never know where they're supposed to be. And God's not like that. He will tell you where you're supposed to be until He tells you something different. You stay put. Good gravy. That ain't hard. You wonder what gets into people. I, w- I would so love to <laughs> to just know and do. That's all I want. God, tell me, tell me what you know. Not knowing is is a burden. You know, if you if you know God, there's so much work 
of the gospel to be done. You sit here and you look at the people that don't know God, that don't go to church, that are told Christians are, are, are uh, mean people, they're hateful people, and uh, you know what, we, we get persecuted on TV 24-7. I mean, come on now. It's, 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 it's tough out here. But you've got to know that God has called you to this life. And it is a humbling life. It's not an exalted life where uh, people know who you are and you got to beat them, beat them, have an entourage and beating people off of you. That is so carnal. It really is. So turn off. I don't go to see people like that. I don't send them my money. I don't do any of that stuff with them. They are they are in a different place than I am. So. Acts chapter 23, we're going to talk about that. Now, Paul had already been, where was he? He was, where was he? And Paul gets around. And in chapter 22, I think he was, uh, let me just go to 23 because Paul has already put himself under the authority of the Roman government. Because they were threatening to kill him. Most times he sought the uh, asylum of the church of God's people. But you got to understand too, there he had many enemies. So Paul is this person who is called and anointed by God and receives continual revelation from God because he has been to so many different cities and planted churches there. You notice that Paul doesn't go plant a church and turn it over to somebody like Timothy and never talk to him again. Uh, he, he has, before Paul moves on, he goes and he preaches at these places, deposits what he has for them. And you will see that when when he moves on or when it's time to go to another city, that church is stable. They have apostles. They have prophets. He is he has been able to discern who these people are, lay hands on them. He writes letters to them so that he straightens out disputes. He governs, in other words. He is visible, hands-on, and he governs. He is not just telling people count numbers and saying I'm over so many churches and yada yada. Uh, you don't see him asking for a tithe from all these churches. You see him laying, he tells people if you want to give an offering, it is for this other church that is struggling. And then that's why he receives that offering. He says, but I don't want people to um, be moved emotionally, so prepare what you have before I come. Amen. He's very strict about that. Paul made tents when when he, you know, in his downtime between revelations and being thrown in jail and <laughs> preaching and all that, he had an occupation where he took care of himself. And so it's very, very different Um the purity that can be placed into a work in God when you have that attitude about what belongs to you, what belongs to God's people, what belongs to whomever, uh, the purity that comes in that, uh, when, when that is pure like that, it's amazing the power that follows and the signs and wonders that follow that ministry. 
Paul talked about the uh, marks of the apostle were evident in his ministry through signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. So that's the other part of the evidence of that ministry is signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Mighty deeds can can refer to um, the change that will come in a city because the gospel is finally preached there. It can be... Um, uh, um, opportunities that Paul had all the time to speak to kings and governors and people on that level and make a difference and make a change there. Mighty deeds can also be uh, seeing 5,000 saved at one time. You got me? The outpour of the Spirit that comes in that arena when when uh, Christ is preached. And so these are the things that separate and, and set apart the apostles' anointing from the others. The other one definitely is that of the, the warfare and the victory that's always present with them. You don't hear them saying stuff like, well, you know, the devil did this and, and, uh, you know, and, and they stopped. You got me? Like, um, say for instance, if your car breaks down, uh, your car breaks down, the devil did this, uh, but I'm gonna get him back cause I'll take that crap from him and I did call me a car and they came and picked me up and I did not miss my meeting. You got me? And I was not late. <laughs> You don't sit and weep and whine somewhere because you got car trouble. So you know what I'm saying. You you must keep going. These are small challenges. There are small challenges to your authority, but you must keep going. So a true apostle finds another level of anointing in him to keep going. Got me? You just, they punch you in the gut and you get up and say, huh, think that hurt. <laughs> Take this, bam! You got me, you, you live to fight another day. You always do. There's always that resilience in there that, you know, you might get stunned for a minute and you think to yourself, well, God, you gotta give me something. That's your first thought is give me something, God, I'm just taking this. <laughs> Who is this uncircumcised idiot that's trying to, you know, they, you have that in you that's part of your spiritual equipment. So you're not stopped and you're not stunned and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember, I, I forget what it was, the the last time I let somebody hurt my feelings, you know, that I really loved. And they, and the Lord said, what are you doing sitting down and crying for? Okay. <laughs> I can cry. Well, I can cry. You got me. And and so and then you later on you deal with that. God come from this last for this last piece of flesh that's still alive in me. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, fighters do that when they get in a fight and they get winded before you know they can't go a certain number of rounds and all that. They go back to training. They said, uh, "You got to you told tell the trainer, get me on a different diet, put me on a different something, because I got to be able to go to distance. I can't just be hurt and and that's it. You know that kind of stuff. So and so you you go to God to heal you. you that's who you go to. You know you." 
you know, pe- people can pray for you, and, and that's wonderful. And sometimes you can get prayer from people, but you have to go to God with a lot of things that other ministry gifts don't have that, don't have it. You know, they just can't, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, if, you know, if you're, 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 some of you who have boys have sons, it's the father-son relationship. Uh, when the boy cries too much, daddy says, cut that crying out, boy, you be a man, you know, whatever. But you want to step them out of weakness and put them over into strength. That's all that is. They're not being mean to them. It's, you know, bad mommies, stop it. Because that's their boy too. That's your son, but that's their son. Amen. And they know where their potential will not be developed that they don't get that whine out of them. Amen. And get that. Wanting to to collapse every time something happens, you know. If you take a punch, you, you cover up as best you can so you can avoid them. But if you take one, you will recover. You got me? It don't end the fight. <laughs> You're not that eager to throw in the towel. You know, you keep fighting. Man. I'm, I'm going to live to fight another day. I'm not dying today. Amen. <laughs> Oh, no, to say by day to die. I just put it off for another day. And so in uh, Acts chapter 23, now uh, Paul was, uh, uh, he went and spoke to the Jewish in the Jewish temple. I think this is in Jerusalem, if I'm not sure. I forget. Um, he says in verse 1, um, Earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. The high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to hit him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, shall God shall smite you, you whited wall, for you sit to judge me after the law and command me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, are you going to revile the God's high priest? And Paul said, well, I didn't know he was a high priest. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to talk back to me wrong. said, but then Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducees, the other Pharisees. And he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I'm called in question. And when he said that, he knew that was going to tick off the Sadducees. So he started a contention between them. It's good when you can cause the enemy to fight one another and lay off you. Sadducee says there's no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and argued, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or angel is spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And then there arose a great dissension. Uh, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him to the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness of me at Rome. So Paul listens. He doesn't listen to the people that are out to kill him. He doesn't listen to the people who don't like him. He is not moved by man's comments against him. 
and that is typical of apostolic authority, anointing, personality, ministry, whatever. They care not what man says about them. There's some things you can't consider if you're going to work for God. Remember we said Abraham considered not his own body now dead. If you're going to do something for God's self, you can't consider. You got me? You can't be moved by people trying to sway you emotionally. Amen? Especially when they want to accuse you. How many of you know your sins are forgiven? Amen? Mine and yours. So we don't accuse one another. Amen. But if they come to you in peace and entreat you and try to to come to a place of of understanding, that's something different. And so here Paul is under accusation. So he cannot consider what these people are saying, but he knows that his life is being threatened. And so God gives him his next assignment. And that is that he wants him to bear witness for him at Rome. Then there arise uh, in that town a plot to kill him, starting in verse 12. Uh, the the uh, um, Jews, about 40 of them, got into agreement. They finally quit fighting one another and realized we got to hang together if we're going to kill Paul. And so you will find very unusual groups of people get together against you. Amen. If they, because they want to take you down. Amen. And so you'll have mixtures of, of individuals that get along for some reason and you'll find it's because they want to stop apostolic ministry and stop that anointing from coming through. There are people in the church that want to do that. I'm not talking about sinners all the time. And as you see with Paul, his biggest enemies were the were the Jews, the ones that he came from that group. And so when he came out of that group and came into the light of God, he saw that that group wanted to kill him just like he used to kill other Christians. And so you see here, Paul, these men banded together under a curse. They said they would not eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. Amen. So at the end of the book of Acts, there's a a two-year span that has passed. You might wonder if they ever ate anything again. (laughs) Them some skinny dudes by now. Amen. So two years later, Paul is still alive. And so them skinny dudes. (laughs) Amen. So (laughs) Paul, (laughs) it's funny. So uh, uh, it says, you know, there were there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we bound ourselves under a curse. We won't we won't eat or drink anything till we kill Paul. And what happened was Paul's nephew got wind of it. God will always have somebody stationed to help you if you need natural help. My advice is seek God first. You got me? Don't look to man first. There's always that, you know, that desire to, to, you look, you find it on your own. You'll find the wrong thing every single time. You'll be thinking people are with you and, you know, it all falls apart in the end. Um, I remember years ago, 
I, I, there was a, a minister that I knew. Um, he was mostly a singer. Uh, he said God had called him to start a church, and, and we hadn't heard from him in a while. And I was asking Pastor Shirley one day, I said, you heard from them? And the answer was no. And then it kept bugging me that we hadn't heard from them, and so I attempted to make contact with them and located them. And they were called to to pastor and it was a legitimate call of God because it, you know, it just was, and I knew it. And so when I got a hold of them, they told me, they just said, oh, yeah, we started our church out here, and, and we're uh, out here. I said, well, we've been praying for you. I said, because God, you know, just won't let me, you know, let me not pray for you. I said, can you tell me what's going on? And I was immediately sorry I asked <laughs> Because they were in debt, I'll say this much, it was over $5,000, more like twelve. you got me? And they had gotten in debt because they were encouraged to move out there and start their church by people, men, ministers that they had ministered for over the years, a group of them encouraged them, and they said, and we will help you get started. Well, help never came. And he said, we had already made up our minds to move, and we had got everything packed, and we had come out here ahead of time and found a building and all of that. And what happened was they got stuck um, with um, their furniture being in storage. And that's what, once they move you, you know, you don't get your your stuff out until you pay the bill. And nothing was coming. Got me? Now, years ago, the Lord prepared us that he would have us support people in unique situations. Amen? That people would, there would, these would be people that nobody else would help. And that they were not known people. They weren't, quote, unquote, in the world important, the church world important people. But that we had to stay open to help people when we were able to help them. You got me? And uh, we had had some opportunities where some pledges were made to the ministry. We were totally debt free. And we had money that was saved up. And so I was kissing them dollar bills goodbye, weeping and crying the whole way. But I got over it. Got me? Because it doesn't help them. What help is it to say, well, I'll give you half of it and you get the other half somewhere. You have to do the whole job. And so I was able to see how depending on man, and and the Lord taught me a lot in that. And he said, this is why. You had a rough start when you got started because everybody you went to from help, for help slammed the door in your face or quit answering your phone calls or quit talking to you. He said, because I never want you to get dependent on man for anything that I want. If man's going to help you, I will put that person in your life. And, and you talk to me about everything you need. I mean everything. And so I learned, I learned that what he had told us was true about us because it, it and I think they couldn't even keep that work going. You know, they had to leave there and, and go do something else because it, once you get man's handprints 
on God's work, it's marred forever. You got me? Just like on the potter's wheel. You know why that wheel spins so fast? To keep it, make it so fast that your hands don't leave an imprint on that. And when they take that, that pot and dry it out, they inspect it for fingerprints. That's why they had a potter's field out there. They would throw the old clay jars out that didn't make an inspection. They throw them out in an empty field because after it dried, there was nothing else you could do. You would smooth it out while it was wet, but once it dried, if you found fingerprints on that, so one thing that mars pottery beyond recognition or beyond uh, a value, and that is man's prints on it. So God doesn't want man's prints on you, on your ministry, on any, and he don't want your prints on his work. You got me? It's all for his glory. And so you'll learn some things if you, if you, you know, we're dependent on man's worst thing in the world you can do. Uh, while you're looking for who can help you out, you could have prayed already and God could have the answer on the way to you. This is what we don't do many times. We don't seek God first. And so Paul, once his, his nephew finds out that they want to kill Uncle Paul, and so he is able to go in and talk to Paul about this, and he reveals it to him. And then Paul directs him to the chief captain uh, of the guard in the prison, because that's where Paul is. He's in custody. And so he reports to Paul that these men are going to kill him. And so Paul then has him report it to the authorities. The authorities, if you drop down to verse 28, uh, <clears throat> They're making 23. It says we're in 2323 called unto him two centurions saying, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea and three score horsemen or 70 horsemen and spearmen 200 and a third at the third hour of the night and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on them and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, I send greetings. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then I came with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Okay, So uh, uh, Claudius is clearing himself of any wrongdoing in this letter. And when I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into the council where I perceived to be, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. So when you stand before accusation, the, the, your, your only, your only crime should be your obedience to God. And you see that with Paul everywhere he went, when he stood before governors, when he stood before kings, they found nothing worthy of death and nothing worthy of imprisonment that he had done. And so Paul let that be his calling card when he told them that I have maintained a good conscience before God and man. What that means is I I'm answering to God and God alone, and I'm being obedient to God, and that's really all the credential you need. 
You just have to stand in that place where you know God sent you. You know you're being obedient to the call. You're not trying to get anything out of it for yourself. You're not trying to start any kind of, you know, side little thing that you like to do because they like you here and you got power and you got numbers and you got this and you got that. You're, you're not doing anything for yourself, but you're there representing God and you have a good conscience. You have a good conscience. I'm not talking about other people that might criticize you. What they say doesn't matter. It has to be that you have a good conscience between you and God. Because if nothing else, I can tell you that people who work for God are highly misunderstood. And that's why we have to lay off one another. Quit being so hard on each other and criticizing and we don't do this right and they don't do that right and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Stay out of people's business before God. And so Paul, when he started his ministry, he didn't go ask anybody. He did uh, uh, go report to, to the church there and they were able to see that he was really converted. He was baptized. He was able to uh, um, receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And after that, he was done with them. He went on his way doing his ministry because he was equipped. Once you're equipped, you don't need anything else. You take your equipment and you pack off and you go. Amen. And so and God will teach you along the way. Now, I'm not saying I'm not against uh, Bible school or anything like that at all. I, I was able to take some courses myself and, and complete a course uh, that Rama offered. I wasn't able to go there, but I felt it was necessary for, for me to be examined by other people more knowledgeable about the Bible than I was. Humble yourself. You got me? You, it does not hurt you. To learn as much as you can from able people. Um, Lester Summerall was, was taught by, um, I'm trying to think of his name. Howard Carter. Amen. He, and he had asked God for somebody to teach him the word because he loved the word, but there was much of it he didn't understand. And Dr. Carter was, uh, was the head of a Bible college. And they traveled together for many years. And as you know, Dr. Summerall, if you look at some of his writings, I mean, it's to the nth detail. If you ever said for a syllabus of his, of some of the books that he's done and, and books of the Bible and so forth, they are extremely detailed, very well researched theologically and also with, with revelation from God and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And so it, it's sometimes, but God will, he wants to see you get up and use what he's given you more than anything. And so in, in apostolic ministry, you've got to be moving out doing. You can't be sitting back doing nothing. And so um, Paul then is able to, he goes there to, he's being sent now, um, let me see, to Caesarea to talk to uh, one of the Roman magistrates. And so in this letter, it's explained that he has done nothing worthy of death or of bonds, as verse 29. And when it was told me how that the Jews had laid in wait for him, I sent straight away 
and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before you that they had something against him. So then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul, brought him by night to Antipatris. On the morning, they left the horsemen to go with them and return to the castle, who, when they came to Caesarea, had delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. When the governor read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and he said he was from Cilicia. He said, I will hear you then, and your accusers also come. Now, when Paul had this little mock trial before his accusers, they couldn't, they brought witnesses, but the Romans were looking for something that he had done that was worthy of breaking the law. And accusation is not the same thing as a crime. You got me? And so many times, but see, we need to understand that because what, what the devil is doing with most of us is accusing us because there's no crime here. You got me? And, and I think sometimes we need to, I mean, here, here is a, a secular, worldly government judging the church as being in error. Because many times we'll accuse somebody of, uh, well, they didn't speak to me and they don't like me. See, there's no crime there. But see, we can commit it. Church people will build it up and commit it like it's a crime, honey. You know, it's a crime not to come in and hug everybody. It's a crime not to come in and bless everybody. It's a crime not to come. You understand what I'm There's no crime here. And we need to pull it down into the level of normal reality because people in the world look at that and wonder what is wrong with them people. Do you know as people been slapped in the head and, and scared to go home and run and taking their children to a shelter and y'all wonder about who spoke to each other? And so we have to bring it down to normal folks and understand that if we're going to reach a world out there that doesn't know the Lord, we got to know him for sure ourselves, amen, and be able to present like we know God and cut the nonsense out, amen. You have people now that don't speak to each other because somebody says something to them and they looked at them funny. It's just nonsense, you know. You, you go out and win the world, win the loss. Go take everybody out on a, a what you call it, trip. <laughs> the The cure for pettiness is to go out and do something real. Huh? Go to some of them people out there who looking funny and stink and halfway dressed and got open sores on them. Go do some of that stuff and lay off each other. Sit up and referee. You know, I'll referee people's little petty stuff. I don't come here with that. I used to think, well, what's what's wrong? I mean, uh-uh, I'm going come in here with that. Because the, the cure for that's in the Bible. Forgive. And then what do we do? Go and, and drag them out of their pew in the church and tell them they need to treat you better? I don't think so. Hey, what you here for? Cut that out. We ain't that kind of church. 
There's always the complainers. You know, the people that don't complain, (laughs) you know, they they get their licks too. It's the complainers that want all the attention all the time. Oh, so where is it out? Praise the Lord. We love you. Okay, so we're in verse, we're in chapter what now? <laughs> 2329. So here we have Paul. He's being brought before these different princes, governors, kings, all of these people. Why? Because that's his ministry. See, while Paul is being, and this is, this is why you gotta understand how to stay focused. This is what the devil's after. The devil wants Paul to forget about ministering to people, forget about sharing Christ with people, to, to get over into himself and how he's gonna survive and, and how will I make it and how they wanna kill me and, what are they doing? <coughs> Where are they at now? And all this kind of stuff. God has already taken care of Paul's protection because he has him under Caesar's authority now. He's got guards. He's got centurions around him. He's got jailers around him. He's got all the protection and the natural that he needs. And so when Paul has to appear before the, the, uh, uh, in this court, uh, he has to present him, Felix is the governor of, are they at Caesarea yet? I forget where they at. But Governor Felix is one of the first people that gets to examine him. So while what they are doing is the governors and the kings are acting as judges when these, when the Jews accuse Paul. And so, they're way out of their league, way out of their jurisdiction. There's a couple of them that know something about Jewish law and Jewish customs and all that. But the Romans are looking for what crime has been committed. Because this man's a Roman citizen. And so his his appeal to Caesar as a citizen of Rome puts him in that league and not the petty league of the church people. And so there must be a crime found before they can punish him and punish him legally. So God protects Paul like this. Paul is able to go everywhere he wants to go, do every witness to everybody, preach to everybody he wants to, while he's still under restriction by the Roman government. The gospel is never bound. Christians have all kinds of accusations against them. The devil can be threatening to take your your children away from you by some kind of lie somebody told about you. It can be threatening to take your house away from you because something they lost some paper or something like. Or you know your you, whoever you had do your taxes regularly never mailed them in for you, or you don't want to file your own taxes, whatever. But God will put you under His protection and under His authority and keep you secured until he can get help to you and get you exonerated from whatever it is that the world is accusing you of. And that doesn't mean that Christians get can do bad and get a free ride. If that's what you think, you're on the wrong way. You don't understand the blood. Because the blood is paid for your past, present, and future sins. If you get devious and decide that you don't want to do something and you break in the law, you know the blood is paid for your devious. 
You can repent of that. Don't get stuck down a road somewhere and think about all you did wrong and that's how you got there. Come on now. That's why Paul went where he was supposed to go. He said, mm, I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't tell nobody what God told me that time. Huh? Church people are still church people. You get a vision from God, you get a, a revelation from God, you better be careful about who you share it with. Huh? Seriously. Uh, people want to, they want to smack you down. Oh, I know that. Well, well, let me tell you what God told me. And then you get in a competition. You know, you can't share things. And uh-huh. So then Paul has to, to uh, um, stand before Felix, the governor, in verse 24, I think it is, I want to go to. We're still in 23. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, 24. Okay. And then 24. 24 verse 27, I think. Lord have mercy. And I get into these long tracks of scripture and I almost lose myself. But he's in Caesarea here. 24, 5 through 9. For we have found this a man, uh, 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 oh, he's a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also have gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. So this is one of the Sanhedrin speaking. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. That's what God does for you. When the devil tries to capture you with sickness or for great violence, he'll take him back out of your hands commanding his accusers to come to you by examining of whom you uh, thyself may take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying, yes, these things are so. Then Paul, after that the governor had asked him to speak, answered, for as much as I know that you have been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. Because you may understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with, with any man, neither raising up temple uh, people nor in the synagogues nor in the city. He said, I just went up there to worship God. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess to you. That after the way which they call heresy, from a Christianity, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. So your defense of any accusation 
is that you've gone to God and you have a clear conscience of any offense toward God or man. Forget them religious nuts that talk about you behind your back. Forget them crazy family people that don't want to see you coming in there and run from you and lie to you and all that kind of stuff. Amen. And lie on you. Forget all of that. Forget all the whisperings that go on behind your back. As long as you have a conscience that tells you you have not offended God or man, that you have forgiven them, that you stand forgiven before God, that's all you need to know. Don't busy yourself and wonder why they acting like that. They act like they, forget about it. Forget about it. Because it's the devil just trying to get your attention. To pull you over in condemnation. So you can try to figure out what you did wrong. God don't play with your head like that. If you've done something to offend God, he puts you up front on it. You feel conviction in here. You say, God, I'm sorry, Father. Please forgive me. And help me to not do it again and not make it a habit. Amen. Don't ever run from God. Just just let him pin you down and examine you and, and get it straightened out. You got me? Get that out of you so you can go on and we don't have this conversation again about the same old, same old. <clears throat> Amen. And so Paul said he's void. He has a conscience that's void of offense toward God and toward man. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had anything against me. So here his accusers aren't even showing up in court. So Paul then is able to put himself over into the hands of the Romans and he begins witnessing to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24, it says, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. So here Paul is flipped off from being concerned about his own person and them wanting to kill him, now he's back in his ministry again. See, the the devil cannot stop apostolic ministry because that anointing has the ability to rebound and be resilient every single time. That man has bounced from one city to the next under arrest. He's not begging anybody to let him out. He's not trying to get nowhere. He's just going on arrested. And trust in God every step of the way. Because as long as you have peace, you have an end with God. That's what you look for. You look for, do I have peace with God about this or am I disturbed about it? And Paul kept his peace. He said, I have a good conscience toward God and man. In other words, I have not offended God and I have not offended man in any way. And that's what I look for to make sure I'm right. The court of public opinion will throw you out to the wolves every single time. People love you one day, hate you the next. Huh? And so you have to be careful 
to keep it in the right zone. When you're under attack, you keep, I mean, it's normal. I know I do. When I, when, when I need something from God, I'm nice to everybody. We all are. Hypocrites, don't be looking at me like that. Y'all do it too. Huh? You know, I see people that are, uh, diagnosed with cancer. They get so sweet. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's just human nature to know, listen, I can't afford to be on nobody's outs. I need too much. And that's the way we're supposed to live every day as believers, with a good conscience toward God and man. We're not, we don't have any offenses that, that, well, they, they better apologize to me. No, this ain't no time for that. Huh? You go to do to do if you have to. You understand what I'm saying? God just opened the door and I'll go talk to him. You understand me? There ain't no time for being stupid. You want peace and that's the uppermost should be uppermost in your mind. Um, and it says, let me see where it says Felix and we talked about him, him and his wife. He hoped, verse 26, he hoped also that money this is what Felix. Now Felix is sitting there listening to listening to God preach the gospel for many days. He's thinking that he can get a bribe from Paul at some point. That's why he has him come in and talk to him. Listen, God will put you in places where the open door to preach don't look like an open door at all. But you're going to have to create one. You got me? Because here Felix is listening to Paul and he's thinking Paul's going to grease his palm or something to get him out of trouble because that's what people do. But he knows one thing and that he's not at Rome yet and that God is going to keep him alive until he gets to Rome. But he's got all the tools he needs. He doesn't need anything from people. That's the greatest freedom you will ever have in your life is not to be dependent upon man for anything. And and love people, love God, let God bring people in your life to bless you. You love people enough to be a blessing to them, but as far as you be depending upon them and and they having control over you or you in these situations where you can't get out of and it's it's hard and all that kind of stuff. There's no such thing. The only thing God is looking for you is to have a clear conscience between him and you and other people. You know, treat people right. If you get mad at somebody, forgive them and learn how to apologize. There's nothing wrong with that. And live in that zone. But you're not here uh, as a popularity novelty either. Trying to make sure everybody likes you. Now that's a little twisted and perverted. So you stop short of that. But you learn how to keep, the most important thing is you keep peace between you and other people. That there's no tension when you enter a room. And there's no discussion behind your back. And there's no nonsense and shenanigans going on. About things like that. No darkness in that relationship. And, and please God. And God will put you in some, some places that you never thought you'd be before doing some things you never thought you'd do. The gospel is always your calling card. You share Christ with everybody that you have an opportunity to share him with. And don't shrink back because you're still called to minister. 
You're still called to preach the gospel. You're still called to make sure people know that our God is a good God and that he's worthy of worship and honor and praise and that he loves people. And and this is what we're here for. But I'm telling you, the devil will try and distract you from your real calling at every turn. It didn't matter to Paul that he was in jail. He'd been in jail before. And he knew at the right time God would come and get him out. He had no doubts about that. But he didn't want the Jews to have authority over his life. And that was the one thing that he fought. He appealed to Caesar in order to get them off his case. You know, some people think he shouldn't have. Some people, in fact, I think it was, was, um, uh, King Agrippa at the end of Paul's, Paul's, uh, time there said that he might have been released from jail had he not appealed to Caesar. Well, but the Jews would have killed him. So what you gonna do? Well, you're gonna try to live to preach another day. Amen. You're gonna do that so that, cause God don't get no service out of dead preachers. You understand what I'm saying? It, when you dead is over with as far as what you were gonna do. But he can get a lot of glory if we will, will understand that there's a true apostolic anointing. There is a resiliency in that anointing that when you're accused, you bounce back. Amen. When you're put down, you bounce back. Uh, when you punch, when you're punched, you counter punch. You get people off you and get devils off you so that you can live another day and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no point in us dying out there on the missionary field. You got me? Uh, dead preachers don't preach no more as far as I know. So you gotta, there's ways for you to stay alive. You gotta have the right anointing to do that. Amen? Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you for knowledge. Thank you for encouragement, Lord, that you have it all taken care of for us. That we are well cared for by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the head of the church, Jesus, and I thank you. That we will be obedient to what you called us to do. We honor you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we just pray for this neighborhood. And we thank you, Father, for opportunities. Increase our opportunities to minister to people, share Christ with people. Satan, we command you to let go of the souls you're holding. In this neighborhood that they can, can come by here and, and allow us to minister to them, Lord. Capture those people that need you today. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Praise God. Amen.